Amen. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you, choir and orchestra. Thank you, Barry McGee, who will be with us tonight. We'll have dinner on the grounds, and uh, we'll have a bring your lawn chair. We'll have a great time. He'll do uh, several of those for you tonight. That will be our, our service of worship, music, and drama. And uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is Labor Day weekend, so I thought I would bring a message that will please all of the parents today called the joy of work. How's that? Or the joy of labor. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul deals with the subject fairly comprehensively in a very quick way, beginning in verse 22. Servants, you could translate that employees, obey in all things your masters, you could translate that employers, according to the flesh. Notice Paul draws a distinction. Not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing or reverencing God. And whatever you do, translate that, be a lawyer, be a businessman, be a carpenter, be a plumber, be a preacher, be a pilot, be a, what else, computer programmer, be a money handler. Whatever you do, do it, let's say the word together, class, heartily. I like that. That's one word I like from the old King James. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Isn't that interesting? You get your paycheck from R.J. Reynolds, but you serve the Lord Christ. You may get your paycheck from, uh, from uh, Wachovia, but you serve the Lord Christ. Amen? I hope you understand that's a prime concept of the biblical understanding of work. And he who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong which he has done, and there is no partiality. For masters, give your servants, employers, give your servants, give your employees what is just and fair. Why, employers? Because you also have a master in heaven to whom you are going to answer. No employer is a law unto himself. In the Roman world, there were 60 million slaves out of a worldwide population of 250 million. Those who had become Christians were locked into a station in life and a job in life, whatever their masters wanted for them. And Paul said, go ahead and serve your masters because you are really serving the Lord Christ. Every one of us can remember. Every one of us. When you were little, people would say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a few of us are still asking that question. What do I want to be when I finally grow up? And the answer is an interesting one if you look at it historically. In the medieval times, people were usually what their fathers were. 
and there was very little distinction between what you did and what you were. Your work was your lifestyle. If somebody asks you what you are, you don't say, I'm a good man. You say, I'm a shoe cobbler. If somebody asks you what you are, you don't say, I'm a father of four. You say, I'm a fireman. Because work was so closely tied to who we were, it was our lifestyle. Now, today we're asking as we go through the technological revolution, is there going to be a job for me tomorrow, right? <laughs> is there going to be a job or will I re be replaced by a computer? Or will I be replaced by a robot? Or will there even be any job? Will I wind up working at Hardee's for five fifty an hour? Well, that's not bad. You can sneak a french fry every now and then. That would be all right. I, I guess they do. Can, can you sneak french fries when you work at Hardee's? How many have ever done that? Uh, no takers on that one. How about McDonald's? <laughs> but what will you be when you grow up? Shows how important most people see work. And today, we have a lot of people who are very disenchanted with their jobs. They are working at a job that they wish could change, living in a place that they wish they could change. They would like to have a different place to live, a different man to be married to, a different woman to be married to, a different car to drive, a different job. Very few people are really happy in what they do. I'll never forget what Louis Grizzard said one time. Do you remember? He, he died of his own heart problem now, but uh, I, I love some of the things he said. He said uh, something like this. He said, life is like a dog sled team. He said, if you ain't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. <laughs> and you think about that one. Life is like a dog sled team. If you ain't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. And that's where a lot of people are today. We're going through the same motion over and over and over again. People say to me, I get up in the morning, I go to work, I come home, I cook, I go out to eat. Did you know I read in USA Today this week, 80% of all American meals are eaten out. 80%. We had to get a new stovetop and surely had to get some new pans. We didn't even know how bad our old pans were. But you just tried to boil two eggs and it rocked all over the place. It was like a Mount Vesuvius. She said, these pans don't even sit flat and I didn't know it. She goes to reading China. Woman says, these are great pans. She said, how do you know? The woman says, I don't know. I just sell them because I never cook anymore. 80% all meals eaten out. But anyway, life is a drudgery. If you ain't the lead man, the scenery never changes. How is it that a Christian on this Labor Day weekend ought to see the place that God has given him for work? All over the world, May 1st is Labor Day, except in the United States, we wanted to be different. And so in 1894, it was decreed after about 60 years of pressure from organized labor that there ought to be a day in which we celebrate and we honor the laborers of America. And that is tomorrow. I think it's interesting. We celebrate labor by resting. Uh, th th that's a good one, isn't it? We celebrate labor by ceasing from our labor. Most things we celebrate, we do it over again. But anyway, that's the way we celebrate labor. Edward Carpenter said, what is the good of life? If its chief element and that which must always be its chief element is odious. 
No, the only true economy is to arrange so that you, your daily labor shall be itself a joy. And happy is the man or the woman who loves his work so that he has to make no apologies for his job. What are you now that you've grown up? I am happily a salesman, and I love my work. If I were to ask you today how many love your work, how many would raise your hands? Raise your hand. You just love what you do. The first hand up was Ken Sanders, who is retired. <laughs> he loves his work. How many like your work, but you'd like to have a few changes in the circumstances around the work? There are some more hands. I'm not even going to ask, how many get up and go to your job and you despise that job? Because your boss may be watching this morning on television. <laughs> Max Weber said, do we live to work or do we work to live? There are four deadly fears, really. Four. It is the fear of death. It is the fear of being alone. It is the fear of being lost. And it is the fear of living a meaningless life. Now examine with me Paul's passage in order to answer how can we avoid living a meaningless, meaningless life. The first thing Paul does is he deals with a purpose of work. <coughs> in verse 22, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, now underline that last phrase, fearing or reverencing God. Now what is the purpose of all work? Now the Bible says that in light of the fact that we're to do whatever we're called to do, fearing God, or verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. From the very beginning then, we have to understand that work is God's order for us. From the very beginning, God intended that we should know how to work. There are two things no parent should let his child go into life not knowing. Don't let him go into life not knowing how to work and not knowing how to take consequences for his actions. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. First, I want you to see in Genesis chapter 2 the reason God put us on this earth. In chapter, 20, in chapter 1, verse 26, he's already said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, the earth, every creeping thing. And then in verse 28, he blessed them, man and woman, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the rest of my creation. So from the very beginning, God had a plan of work. Whatever I am doing, I am to represent God in creation, and I am to shine back his image since I am made in God's likeness. Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man 
and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it or to till it and to guard the garden. From the very beginning, God intended that I should work and that I should find satisfaction in my work and that by cultivating the garden and tilling the garden and guarding the garden, I would fulfill one of the purposes for which God put me on this earth. I think in Genesis chapter 11, we see a perversion of that very quickly. And we see it when in the Tower of Babel experience, verse 2, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, now watch this, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for themselves, exactly opposite from what God gave man to do in Genesis 2. Now, here at the Tower of Babel, we're going to make a building for us so we can make a name for ourselves. I am telling you, folks, from the very outset of your work life, God has put you here not to do what you wanted to do, but God has put you here for His holy purpose, and that's the beginning of all understanding of work. I want to give you a little outline. Are you ready? First, there are four reasons why God gives us work. First, to fulfill God's calling. My job is a calling. I'm a pastor. I can barely separate when I am a pastor from when I am not a pastor because anywhere I go, I am still a pastor. When I go to a restaurant and the waitress sends me a message that she knows who I am and I'm representing you, <coughs> excuse me, I have to tip 20% <laughs> because she knows who I am. And if I don't tip, guess what? That's a chintzy church out there. Did you know that? That preacher, he came and sat at my table and left me a dollar for a $25 meal. So we must first, in our work, fulfill God's calling. And I do not care whether you're a carpenter or a plumber, every Christian's attitude to work and life begins by accepting that where I am, God has placed me and allowed me, and this is his calling. I am to serve, fearing God and reverencing God and accept this calling as from him. And if you are not doing what God wants you to do, then for goodness sake, stop doing what you're doing and do something else. Take your hand here and hold and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Tell me what you read this as you read the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 17, as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, <coughs> so let him walk. Now you say, but what is he speaking of? Okay, 
Verse 18, was anyone called while circumcised? Don't try to be uncircumcised. Were you called while uncircumcised? You don't have to be circumcised. Verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Well, maybe he's talking about marriage. If you were unmarried when you were saved, stay unmarried. If you were married when you were saved, stay married. Wait a minute, go on. What's the very next phrase? Were you called while a slave? Paul doesn't want anyone in the Roman world to fulfill the charge against Christians that they were never going to learn how to be submissive to the authority over them. Because the essence of every Christian is to learn how to come under the lordship of Christ. And if you're a slave when you're called, do, verse 21, do not be concerned about it. If you can be made free, rather use it, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman, and he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Now, you can only get one meaning from that passage. That what I do for my lifestyle calling is to be accepted as having been given from God and having been provided from the Lord, and I am to serve in that calling as if I'm serving God, and when God is ready to move me, God will set me free, or God will put, make me a free man, is what he's saying. I want to tell you, I believe that every one of us needs to back up and look at what we do as a living, as a calling from the Lord. That was the Reformer's idea. Martin Luther studied to be a... Uh, a uh, lawyer. And then God called him to something else. It's all right to be called to something else. But wherever you are, look at that task, at that job, as what God has given you as a calling. That's the meaning of vocation. It comes from the Latin word vocare, meaning to call. I have been called. And so that's why I serve. I'm fulfilling God's calling. Secondly, sometimes the purpose of work is to furnish a livelihood. I mean, that's, isn't that true? I mean, I, I have to work to eat. Amen. That's a New Testament rule. Turn to 2 Thessalonians and read that carefully in chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. You yourselves know how you ought to follow us. We were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But look at what Paul said. We worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority to be chargeable to you, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, he should not what, class? <coughs> now, we love to quote that to those who don't work. But let's face it, God gave us a calling, and out of that calling and that lifestyle, whether it's tending the Garden of Eden or whether it's shepherding a a network of computers, or whether it's nursing at a hospital, God has given us a calling, and out of that calling, we are to get our livelihood. Work leads to eat. Thirdly, sometimes we have to see work as a way to further benevolence. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us an interesting clue. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says in this chapter, in verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give to him who has need. I do not work just to provide my own need. I work so that I will have something left over and I can give to somebody else when they are in need. That is a legitimate purpose for finding God's calling and working at it the very best I can. And fourthly, sometimes the purpose of work is to foster growth. It fosters growth. It is when I learn how to be faithful in the job that God has given me, in the place where God has put me, that I am best capable of growing and letting that job sharpen me and put an edge on me so that God can bless me. Matthew 25, I want you to see this. There's something I looked at I had never quite seen this way before in this passage. Do you remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? In verse 21, when the man who had five brought five more, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Now listen to this carefully. If I'm in the place, if I'm in a job and I accept it as God's calling and I give my very best effort to that job and I quit fighting it and don't spend all your time wishing that you were somewhere else working at some other job, as you are faithful in that job, God says, here's a principle. If you're faithful over this little job, what will I do? Tell me, class, what is it? What will he do here? I will make you faithful over what? Many things. Now, notice the next phrase. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. He didn't say, well, now that you've earned 10 talents, I'm going to take you to heaven. You're going to go to heaven. Just because you do a, God, a good job, God doesn't take you to heaven. He says, enter into the joy. What is the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is a job well done. And when I serve in that job, fearing God, and I do the best I can at it, God will pick me up and move me on so that the next job is God's calling, and the next job is God's calling, and the next job is God's calling. And what is essential is that I see every place God gives me to work as God's calling, and I'm faithful in that, and then God multiplies that, and that is the joy of the Lord, to have God touching my life and prospering and blessing me. But listen, you know, this, this just thrills me. If, I'm, if I take as the calling of God where he's put me, and I am faithful with that, and I fulfill his purpose in that, then he takes me from few things and many things. You serve faithfully where you are, and when you do, God will multiply that job, and you will learn to live in his abundance, and that is the joy of the Lord, where the Lord is just prospering everything you touch. I think we've got to learn that. Stop wishing you were somewhere else at some other job and just say, thank you, Lord. I love working for McDonald's when I'm 16. I started peddling papers, my first job, when I was nine years old. And the, the Sunday papers I had to deliver were so heavy, I hired my brother Tom, who's now the president of Sanford University, I hired him for 50 cents a week to help me. He was five. And we were up at 5.15 on Sunday morning delivering Sunday papers. And I made friends with a man who ran a, ba a bakery. And he, for 10 cents, would save me every Sunday morning a bag 
of leftover baked goods from the day before. And Sunday, I'd dump those into my paper bag, and I'd take them home, and I was nine years old and so proud. I was providing cinnamon rolls for my family every week. It was a joy to work and eat those cinnamon rolls and pay my brother. And I had an, I had an enterprise going when I was nine years old, and I had one employee. We didn't pay any Social Security tax in those days either. And the second thing Paul says here is look at the motive of work. The motive of work in Colossians chapter 3. Well, look at verse 22 and read that carefully. Servants obey in all things your master, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now, here's the second most important thing. The motive for being faithful in the job that God has given me is that I am not serving R.J. Reynolds and I am not serving Wachovia and I don't care if you work for Bob French. You're not serving Bob French. Bob will be tickled pink if you serve in that job as unto the Lord and not as unto men. And the motive of every believer's work is I am serving God. If you're just serving men, there will come a time when it will not be appropriate for you to serve men. But if you are serving God, there will never be a time when it is not appropriate for you to serve God since he sees everything you do. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Don't serve with eye service, but serve as to the Lord. Serve as if you are serving God. See, but the, the way to do that, you must first accept that this job is from the Lord. People say to me, I have this all the time. How in the world could you stay in one church for 33 years? How in the world could you do that? And I say, I have no idea except that my calling was from the Lord. And if your calling is from God, you can endure anything because the origin of the call determines the spirit of endurance. And if I'm a mama-called preacher, I'll last as long as mama lasts. If I'm a money-called preacher, I'll last as long as money lasts. And if I'm a power-called preacher, I'll last as long as power lasts. And if I'm a prestige-called preacher, I'll last as long as prestige lasts. But if I'm a God-called preacher, I'll last as long as God lasts. Amen? But now that is not only true of me. That is true of you. That is true of your calling in life. Retirement is not giving up your work. It's changing your calling. <coughs> I, that's what you meant when you raised your hand, wasn't it, Ken? You're doing things now you never had a chance to do. And as people learn to retire and, and the jobs are bought out and you're given an opportunity for early retirement, I think one of the most tremendous things in life is to reassess where I am. This is now my calling in life. I have a chance to do some things I never had a chance to do before. But if you're a pilot, be a pilot for the glory of Christ and serve the Lord and not men. That's where our motive hooks in to the purpose and the origin. The third thing Paul deals with here is the attitude. The attitude of work. And he warns us not with eye service, serving only because the boss is watching you. You know, God is looking down on you. You'd better do what he wants you to do. But you serve even when he's gone to, to Mexico. Amen? 
when he's not around. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Now, here's the heart of this attitude. Now, listen very carefully to this. The word heartily means out of the soul, out of the inner man. Accept the calling God has given you because you cannot change the circumstances. They are God's to change. But there's one thing you can control about your work. You can control your attitude. You can control your inner life, how you serve, and what you think as you serve. You cannot change the circumstances, but you can change your inner attitude. If we see circumstances as our master, oh, I've got to serve and I hate this, I wish this were different, and you are a victim of that job, then you will never grow through that job. You will forever be the victim and you will forever be suffering and you will never take control so that you can serve heartily as to the Lord and not as unto men. <coughs> Perhaps one reason Paul says this is that some of these servants had brutal masters. And that's why he says in verse 25, he who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of person. See, if you're an employer, treat your employees right, because what goes around will sooner or later come around. I have a saying. I don't think anybody can ever be a good leader until he's been led. I don't ever think you ought to be a boss until you've been bossed. The worst bosses I've ever seen are the people who never knew how to be led. When you've learned how to be led, when you learn how to be led, and you've been led, and you know how to humble yourself, then you will be a leader because you will never forget what it's like to work for somebody else. And so he says, all right, masters, there is no partiality. God will judge you. That's why verse 25 hooks automatically to chapter 4, verse 1. Employers, masters, give your servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The bottom line syndrome is a necessity for being in business, and the Bible honors free enterprise. But I want to tell you, all of us are in the biz business as Christians of developing people. And if you own a business, you're in the business of developing people too. And the best investment you can make is to invest in your people. And find good people who will serve the Lord and serve as unto the Lord. So life is work and work is life. And I'm going to change the outside from within. You're not going to change the outside from the outside. You know, we say government can't do this. You can't buy your way to happiness. But we then try it because we think the way to change our circumstances is to change our circumstances. But the way to change your circumstances is with a right spirit towards God. Put yourself in God's hands. Serve Him in that job. Finally then, Paul takes us to the reward of work in verse 24. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing this, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. 
Now, I know I get a weekly check, or you get a weekly check. Amen? You, don't you like that weekly check? Wouldn't it be great to have an... How many like an extra one? Just have your boss call you in and say, you know, I just think you're doing such a great job. I'm going to give you an extra check next week. Anybody like that? How many would, would that help you through the week? Huh? That, that'd be just great, wouldn't it? But now, wait a minute, Paul says. The reason you serve the Lord is because the ultimate reward comes from Him. That weekly check, that monthly check, may come from your place of business, but in the final analysis, it is God who will repay you both for the wrong done to you, verse 25, and for the good you've done, verse 24. He pays you for both. God is the ultimate settler of accounts. Now, it is that weekly check by which I get a chance to give to help a brother or to give to the Lord or to buy food for my family and buy a house. You know, in a sense, you and I don't have anything but time. Guy told me some time ago he bought a boat and it's going to take him six years to pay for that boat. I'm not sure a boat is worth six years of my life. You think a boat's worth six years of your life? Huh? How many? Would, would do that. Uh, is a house worth 30 years of your life? A 30-year mortgage? Really, what you have to give is time. That's what you use to buy things. While you're making your living, you're buying something with the time that God has given you. So God gives us time that we can work in His calling and produce an income, but that income is only a part in the final analysis it is the eternal reward that God gives us of various kinds that make life worthwhile. So in your job, whether you're climbing a telephone pole and serving Christ that way, whether you're putting in pipes in a new house and serving Christ that way, or whether you're selling stock and serving Christ that way, or whether you're running a bank and serving Christ that way, or whether you're a carpenter building a house and serving Christ that way, in the final analysis, what you see is not all that you get. God has his own reward. And he rewards the evil. When somebody does wrong to you, he'll take care of that. And he rewards the good in his own way, in his own time. And when we keep our eyes on the eternal, it lifts the job out of the mundane. I am reminded that God will reward me in his own way and in his own time. Now, when I follow that little outline, suddenly my job gives meaning to my life. You've heard me say this. If I had two lives to give for Christ, I would start all over again right where I was. I would do some things differently. If I had three lives for Christ, I would do the same thing. I would give them in whatever he wanted me to do. Some of us, work for a promotion. You're better off to serve Christ and let God take care of the promotion from few things to many. Amen? Some of us work for the capacity to live with a little bit more. Do your best to be faithful. God will take care of that. And some of us have learned to work for eternal wages. Oh, you say, well, you won't get far without that weekly check or that monthly check. What I'm looking at is how can I serve Jesus Christ and fulfill the potential and the calling that he gave to me. Whatever it's doing, wherever it is, I want the joy of the Lord 
which is faithful work moving me from few things to many. That's joy. We got the world running around seeking self-esteem. Joy comes from doing the will of God in the calling of God, the work of God, for the glory of God and the reward of God. <coughs> when I was 12 years old, I had bought parts of a bicycle because I didn't have money for a bike. And I had built my own bicycle and I remember buying a 39 cent can of paint and painting it with a paintbrush. And I went up and invested $1.75 in a great big basket that I could put my newspapers in, in the front. And I got up early every morning and I rode around and I had a way. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, kids today don't even know how to fold newspapers. There's, you take a newspaper and there's a way you can fold it. Did you know that? We didn't have money for rubber bands. You fold it over like that and then you turn this like this and then you tuck this in like that. And, and that newspaper, see that? That newspaper will stick tight as can be. And I'd fold all my newspapers and stand them up in my, in my, um, in my basket, and I could put 200 newspapers in there. And then I'd ride by, and as I rode by the house, I'd <laughs> throw it, and it'd hit the porch, occasionally break a window. That was a necessary expense of work. Is it, did it stay together? Did it stay? Yeah, still together, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? But one of my customers was the American Legion. And I was just devilish enough to like to go down there on Friday nights and smell the beer. <laughs> I loved to go in when they were eating pizzas and they'd eat the great big pretzels and drink their beer. Had a big jar of peanuts and they'd eat those peanuts and drink the beer. And they had wild music. I'd never heard wild music like that. And they had a jukebox and I never saw jukeboxes. And I saw old men sitting around telling lies. And uh, I just like to go in there and collect on Friday nights just to see what was going on in that place because I had a good excuse and I couldn't go in for any other time for any other reason. But in those days, you didn't send your money into the newspaper. You gave it to the newsboy. He had to come around and collect. And I had a little card I'd punch. Had me a little punch. Tied it on my belt. Man, I felt like one of those janitors of a big building like Wachovia walks around looking like a boss. You know, they, you always tell who's the man by how many keys he's got. And I'd have a punch. It was two days before Christmas. It was Friday night, and I went down to the American Legion to collect. And that night, the bartender was half-tipped. And he said, Mark, he said, you done a good job this year. I'd already been paid. I collected from the paper every day. And he reached under the bar and picked up a big 24-count box of chocolate Hershey bars. And I put them in my basket. And I rode home feeling like Andrew Carnegie. I'll never forget that. And the first thing I did was I ran upstairs and they hid him away so my brothers wouldn't get him. When you got five brothers and you got 24 Hershey bars, you got to get defensive. And then I got to feeling guilty about hiding those bars. And I'll never forget how rich I felt 
when I opened up that box of bars and took out two candy bars for each of my brothers and my one sister. And I walked around like Santa Claus distributing those gifts and blessing everybody with those Hershey bars. I had been paid far beyond what I deserved. I had been paid far beyond what I got every week. For at Christmas time, it was time for a special gift. And the reason that I worked hard, I've honestly really searched this, is not because I'm trying to prove something to myself or not because I'm comp in competition with somebody but because I envy somebody. But when I'm done, I want to stand before Christ and I want to get that big box of Hershey bars Oh, I've been paid. You paid me for my work. I've been well paid. Amen. And I have my livelihood met, and I have to give to others. I'm looking for those Hershey bars. There's something more, and that's the reward of the master at the end. And when I get that crown, do you know what's ultimately going to happen to that crown for serving him? You're not going to keep it and hide it in your closet and say, nobody else is going to get my crown. The Bible says we'll give it back to Jesus and Jesus is going to lay it down at the feet of God. And he who started everything will have everything come back to him. And that's why he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. A job, whether it's carpentering, preaching, Doctoring, lawyering, operating, building, well done. That's what God wants to say to you. And that's what brings meaning to life in Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Christ, and there's no meaning and purpose, and your job has become mechanical, I invite you to yield everything to him and find out what the joy of faithful service can really bring in your life as you please him and make it your utmost goal to please him and not men. Amen and amen.